0: So yeah, good morning, welcome to Five Stones. Um, For the past kind of eight weeks, there's seven gifts, we had an intro week in case anyone's confused to the math, but we've explored and and hopefully you've been applying, you know, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, and then today we're going to be looking at the gift of mercy. So let's just open with a word of prayer and uh, we'll get underway. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We just thank you that the sun came out, but Lord, we thank you that your sun always comes out. And um, Lord, I just pray as, as we speak and learn today, Lord, that uh, you would just use these words and that they would be your words to your people. And Lord, just that you would place upon me what you want to say to your church and what we need to apply into our hearts, and what we need to apply into our lives. And um, so, Lord, yeah, we just commit this service to you, and uh, just ask that you move through it. Amen. All right, so our core verse is Romans 12, 1 to 8, and I kind of want to just go back and take the time to read the entirety of the passage, because, you know, while we could jump to the very end where we have that list of seven gifts, Um, it's those first five verses that really set the scene and the context um, for how we're to interpret and then apply these gifts. And as we're concluding the series today, we should kind of just go back, circle the wagons, and uh, see what we have learned. So therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many parts in one body, and all the body's parts do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually parts of one another. However, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them properly. If prophecy, in proportion to one's faith, if service, in the act of serving, or the one who teaches, in the act of teaching, the one who exhorts in the work of exhortation, the one who gives with generosity, the one who is in leadership with diligence, and the one who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul mentions in verse 4 and 5 there talks of being one body, one church, but that context applies kind of on two levels And the second one is, this is how we actually need to think of these serving gifts. I likened it to, these gifts are like your limbs. So we get multiple limbs and some are good for walking and others are good for painting. And this example came from James, my three-year-old son. So he's still learning to coordinate his limbs. He can sometimes move them quite fast, he's sometimes quite strong, punches you in the face, <laughs> but there's not yet any finesse, and he doesn't understand yet all of the things that he's going to be able to do with those limbs, what he's eventually going to be able to accomplish. So his latest skill is that he can get his hand to his mouth, and, but he has no comprehension yet that he's going to be able to grasp something, he's going to be able to pick it up, Eventually, with his legs, he's going to be able to stand, walk, run, bike, jump. You think about the coordination of all four limbs in terms of swimming. And then how about the dexterity to play a musical instrument with your fingers? So all of this has to be developed and practiced. It doesn't just come overnight. And as we develop our limbs, we eventually find out one's going to be dominant. Unless you're one of these rare ambidextrous people, most of us find out our right hand becomes our dominant hand and whichever leg you use water skiing becomes your front leg. I don't know any other example for dominant legs, I apologize. <laughs> but none of us ignore our left hand, if you're right handed, um, completely just because we can do things better with our right. So it's really important that we apply these to the gifts. So you can't, when you're looking at these gifts, just focus on one. You can't also just focus on the one that you're strongest in. But you need to be practicing and asking for them all. And one gift might start to feel so much easier um, and that may manifest kind of like, we seem like it feels like a skill. It's kind of natural or learned but it is important that as we work through these gifts that they are gifts. So these are given to you by a loving God who desires you to fulfill his plans for both yourself and his kingdom. So we all have access to every single one of these gifts but in a different measure, but the access comes from the Holy Spirit. So as we read these gifts in verse six to eight, we can see that each gift is mentioned, but then we're given a guidance, a guide rail, for say about how we're to actually use these gifts in action. So as I was kind of studying this passage, I found it interesting that to me they broke into three groups of gifts: prophecy, which is kind of by itself, but I'm going to call it the proportional group. So This is directly tied by Paul to our faith and our maturity. Then what I call the diligence or the practice gifts, service, teaching, exhortation, and the guidance of use is really just to be diligent and practice their use. It's by practicing that we grow and we develop them. And then finally we come to this third group which I'm calling the attitude gifts. So giving, leading, and mercy. And with these gifts, it's not enough to just use these gifts. When you read how Paul frames these sentences, it's kind of assumed that you're going to use them. So these are not nice-to-have gifts or optional, um, but we're all expected to operate in. So his guidance here is not about you need to use them. It's actually the attitude you have to have as you operate in them. So if you look at giving, we, the early church, even going back to the Jewish people as soon as they, even before Egypt actually, um, you see Abraham, they knew of the tithe. So among other giving, but we're expected to be generous. This is not meant to be something that we fight to do or that's really tough for us. We're supposed to be really happy that God has given us what we have so that we can give it on to him. Leadership, as John spoke about last week, the word is to be diligent. And I don't have time to break down the Greek because that's not the focus of the sermon, but like the word diligent here actually has a meaning that means haste and earnestness. So once we accept Christ, we're leaders, whether we like it or not. And so there's a haste or an, an impetus to that, that, we need to bring that into our lives. So we need to be earnest and lead in our communities, if only because we have Jesus and they don't. Yet. So finally, we have the topic du jour, mercy. And Paul says we're not just to offer mercy, we actually have to kind of mean it. And God actually expects us to be happy and joyful about it. So we're going to come back to that point, but first, I just kind of want to go into mercy and, and kind of what how do we define mercy? So mercy is defined as the compassion or forbearance shown, especially to an offender or to one subject to one power. A second definition is a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. So kind of quick side note because I kind of had to look this up about the difference between mercy and grace. So we kind of put them all together a lot. Um, Mercy is often equated with deliverance from judgment. Grace is always the extending of a blessing to the unworthy. Another way that I really liked how it was said is mercy is the act of withholding deserved punishment while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. So in his mercy God does not give us the punishment we deserve hell, while in his grace, God gives us the gifts that we do not deserve. These gifts, and also heaven. As an engineer, I kind of tend to see in math terms, so this is probably going to be an oversimplification of the theology, but to me, mercy is taking us from negative to neutral. Grace is the abundance and the positives that God pours on us above that, for free. <laughs> So mercy is a really big deal to God. It's, it's one of his defining characteristics. And it is mentioned in either word or deed in every book of the Bible. So here, you can I just picked one verse. But in Lamentations it says, The steadfast Lord, love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So if we start at the beginning of the Bible, we see the first incident of mercy to mankind in Genesis chapter 3. And this is where God covers Adam and Eve's shame or nakedness. The last mention of it is in Revelation 21, which might come as a surprise because if you're picturing those horrendous judgment scenes that are playing out, but we see that in chapter 21 verse 6, God says he's going to give water to those that thirst, without cost. And this is kind of a key point because even while God is dealing in Revelation with the judgment of mankind, God shows us that he greatly prefers mercy over judgment. But there can only be mercy if there's repentance. So that's kind of the framework we are given. So back to the Garden of Eden, God's showing mercy and giving Adam and Eve clothes. So they've just sinned, they've disobeyed God, they now have the knowledge of good and evil, and they are feeling exposed. But God took mercy on their shame and their embarrassment and gave them clothes. Now it's important to note that Adam and Eve still had to leave the garden. So it's not that they got off scot-free, But even in their sin and shame, God is providing for them. So in fact, even before he gives them clothes, he is speaking of the one that will put the serpent under his heel. So God's merciful plan for eternal salvation is actually in place before he even mercifully helps them with their nakedness. And this is kind of where mercy comes back to us. Mercy is always coming from God, and he pours it lavishly over us so that we can then go and offer it to others. Hosea says, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And this is why Paul mentions that mercy is one of these seven gifts, because mercy is hard like really hard. Like it's basically impossible by ourselves without the power of the Holy Spirit to help us offer mercy. Why is this? Well, to me it's because mercy can feel like letting someone go from aptly deserved punishment. But that's exactly the definition we read and the point. (laughs) Mercy can feel like we're here, we get run over, we get hurt, then we're expected to give mercy and the other party gets off scot-free. But this mentality is where we really start to tip into judgment. And that topic is God's alone and really for another day if not another sermon series. But yet Paul and God in, in the verses say we're not just supposed to try to show mercy. He assumes that we have to offer mercy And so, again, what's that guidance? We have to do it with cheerfulness. How many of you ever felt happy to give mercy? Most of the time, if we do offer mercy, it's with resignation. Maybe it's because your mom told you to. Maybe because Jesus told you to. It's because it was expected of us. So we maybe knew it was the right thing to do, but seldom... Do we experience any true hurt and then just cheerfully give mercy? But yet on the flip side of that, does anyone feel that God only gives them mercy because he has to? Or that Jesus only showed us mercy because his father told him to? I am always super cheerful (laughs) when God shows me mercy. And I'm very happy that he will continue to show me mercy because my past is not spotless and innocent, unlike what you guys may think. It's pretty messy and sinful. And unfortunately, I have to admit that my future is probably going to look like that too. Jesus gladly gave mercy, not because he was told to, not because he had to, but because he could and because he loves us. So it's important to remember that mercy's not in us. We don't naturally exude mercy. It is a daily gift from God. And that is why it's called a gift. Now God gives, us, gives it to us all in different measure. So whatever the measure is that you have, you need to ask for more. We need to desire more. Because how can we receive something for free and then not offer it to others? The mercy giver is a role that is just key in God's plan and and critical for how he's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. Because in a world that is very obsessed with justice, mercy is going to stand out like a sore thumb. So what's a practical way to show mercy? The discussion of mercy always kind of leads me into what we've just been talking about, which is kind of the forgiveness of sins and wrongs. And obviously I think this is due to my acknowledgement that this is the greatest mercy that is shown to me. However, if we remember, our second description of mercy was a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. James says it bluntly, practically, uh, that words are not enough. I feel like I should get bonus points for like leading James a week early, actually. I just noticed that. But um, <laughs> If a brother or s- there's no point system, just FYI. Um, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says, well, go in peace and be warmed and filled, but yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? So mercy is not only releasing punishment, it's also extending love to those that have not yet earned it. And this is why the gift of mercy works so well with the gift of exhortation. Where exhortation is about creating change and coming alongside someone, mercy is having the heart to pour into those that have not yet shown change or remorse. So It would be really easy to say how many people would notice the church if we showed more mercy. But the reality is that the world is already watching. And what they are seeing is not making them want to come to church. To get personal, you are being watched at work or at school. So what are you showing them? We all know the saying that practice makes perfect. And I had a high school math teacher. He was an absolutely terrible math teacher. Set me back almost an entire grade in math. But he left me with one line, and he would repeat it all the time. And that was, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. So if you practice something wrong, you will learn and perfect it wrong. So it's really important that we practice good habits. And this is not a Sunday activity. This is not a crisis activity because by the time you are in a crisis, you are gonna default to your memory. You are gonna default to what you have been practicing. So ask yourself, what is it that I turn to when my stress level climbs? When I am faced with a difficult decision? what is the first thing you want to do? Eat a pint of ice cream? Go for a run? Or do you turn to God in prayer? We need to daily practice our habits. Practice these seven gifts so that when the moment arises, you don't hesitate, but reach for the Spirit and let His wisdom and His discernment flow through you. Remember, this is not about how much you can do. This is how much your heart is aligned to God and how much you're going to let him do through you. Now, if at this point you feel like you just can't do it, be honest with God, admit that, and then ask him to show you in steps how. Because these gifts are given to us in an abundance beyond our understanding but they can only be unleashed when we trust him to work in us and that trust takes time and it takes practice. So this is not limited to only when you're focusing on crises, but this is a daily exercise to put God in front of our lives. As Paul says, a breathing prayer throughout the day. So Clem Ferris, who will be leading our prophetic conference in a few weeks, Um, We watched a video snippet of him just a couple weeks ago, and some of you might have seen this clip at Intercessors. But he mentioned something that he noticed when he was reading 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, but I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, but I will sing with the mind also. And what he noted is the order of events here that we need to go to the spirit first and then we can activate our mind we need to create habits that take us to the spirit first and then use our skills because personally way too often i go to my mind first and then once i'm exhausted once i'm frustrated once i've run out of options i think hmm maybe i should pray about this (laughs) But we need to reverse this habit and then through practice make it permanent. So yes, gifts will naturally come out of you and you could be really good at functioning within one of these gifts or these skills even if you're not actively turning to the Spirit because He still wants to work with you. But I can promise this with absolute certainty that as good as you are in that gift, And as good as you are naturally functioning in that gift, it is minuscule compared to what the Spirit wants to pour through you into your life, your church, and your community. And so if we go to the Spirit first, we're going to be more activated, we're going to accomplish more, and we're going to be less exhausted (laughs) because we're going to let the Spirit do the lifting for us. And our personal prayer life is what's going to set that example. So what drives you to prayer? Need, desire, guilt, habit, crisis? To pray effectively, we we need to be confident in the sovereignty of God. You know, as we sang this morning, we need to trust his authority but how do we gain that confidence? How do we know that authority? How do we adopt that authority? And that is by practice and prayer and by knowing his word in and out. So know your word. Know the spirit of God so that you can hear his voice and recognize it. You know that, that third song says, creation knows your voice. But do we know his voice? Can we recognize it when he calls? Practice isn't about big scenarios. It's about small actions. So someone cuts you off in traffic, ask how you can show them mercy. Someone speaks ill of you at work, ask how you can show them mercy. Habits are formed by daily action and daily practice makes it permanent. So we've been going through these gifts for for eight weeks and hopefully you've kind of had a chance to think about them and figure out which ones you're you're moving in you know probably fairly naturally or easily you know which ones kind of just manifest themselves in in you and which ones you just feel no call towards. So we're going to do a quick exercise And by raise of hands, we're going to just see how many of you identify with each gift. There's no right or wrong. No one's counting or taking score. I just kind of want to see the breakdown within this body. Um, But because you guys have been sitting there for a while, I just want to make sure your hands all work. So we're going to do a bonus question. So just by raising your hands, has anyone here ever heard of Jesus? (laughs) All right, good. Some hands work. All right. So, how many of you feel a gift, a talent, a propensity for prophecy? Okay. How many for service? All right. Teaching? Good. Kids Church has hired you all. (laughs) (laughs) Exhortation? All right. Giving? All right. Leadership? All right, hopefully all the deacons raise their hands. (laughs) And mercy. All right, a few less hands on mercy. It is hard. All right. So the point to that exercise is every gift is in this body. And hopefully out the side of your eyes, you are seeing people that raise their hands because these are the people that you can naturally work together with But what's interesting is, is even though you may align in one gift, odds are there's another one that you don't. And that is really what makes the church body so unique. I'm going to liken this to these seven gifts are like the primary colors we learn as a kid. So as a kid, you start with red, yellow, blue. Maybe a couple grades later, you move up to the rainbow. You learn your Roy Biv which is the only way I still can remember them all. And then at some point, you're gonna get to the modern paint section. And any of you that have ever done renovations will know, there's like 300 shades of white. And it's, no one can tell the difference except your wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say this guys, there, there is hope here because my mom gave up, she thought I was colorblind for years and then through my company I started working through flooring, and you can actually train yourself to recognize more different shades of color. So There is hope there. But, but the point is, is you start with these seven, but as you and these gifts are going to mature in you, you're going to realize that the gifts start to work together. And there are millions of combinations. Probably we can say billions because there's billions of people on this earth. And Each set of gifts is perfectly suited for a different application that God already has in mind. And this is the Creator's unique work in you. God highlights His creativity by making us each unique. He wants that diversity, He wants your specific set of skills. And we're going to reveal the Father to the world when we use our unique gifts for his purposes. We are not a cult. We are not trying to make everyone the same and everyone repeats things the same. The way every one of you is going to describe salvation is going to be different. The way every one of you can tell somebody about how much Jesus loves you is different. And that is an amazing thing because it's so true to us and it's so true to a God that gave us choice, intelligence, and didn't make us robots that repeat the same thing. We've constantly referred to these gifts as serving gifts, and that's because there's an action that must take place. These gifts all reflect the characteristics of God, his love, his mercy, his wisdom, his goodness. We could keep repeating them for a long time, but. These gifts are there to serve the body. But you can also think of them as motivational gifts. These gifts represent what God's doing in each of us to motivate and shape our lives, to shape our perspectives, and then eventually to shape our ministries. Through these gifts, God is going to make you aware of what he needs and what he wants from you to build for his glory and to build for his church. This is an all-knowing God who gives you gifts to make the church holistic. I loved the example John gave a few weeks ago, the symphony. So a symphony sounds discordant when it warms up. They're all playing the same song during warm-up but they're all playing different sections and so it doesn't sound right but then the conductor comes up and he tells them where to start in the song and when to start on the song and it instantly sounds amazing. It's got multiple layers, it's got a full sound and it's all because everyone in the symphony is looking to the conductor. To kind of expand on that metaphor, a symphony is not formed by only one type of instrument. We don't have only violins, we don't have only trumpets. Each symphony has a different mix and that's what gives it a unique and a holistic sound. Now there may be many violins in the symphony. Many of you raised your hands for service. And it may be that that single violin does not feel important and that they can stop playing or they can play their own tune. But it's immediately apparent to both the crowd and the conductor when even one piece has stopped playing. On the other side, you may have only one bassoonist. I had to actually look up how to even spell the word. (laughs) But if they're missing from the performance, the whole song will be lacking because that song was written to have that part play and to fill in gaps left by the other instruments. Now I joked last week maybe you feel shy and you don't want a limelight and that's perfect because the glory in all of these gifts is going to God. You are just going to be the vessel. Though these gifts are given by God, and though they will manifest themselves naturally in you, it is only by reaching out to the power of the Holy Spirit that they can be truly used for the kingdom of God, that they can be activated in ways beyond human capability and ingenuity and with maximum effectiveness and very important minimum weariness So Romans verse 4 or sorry chapter 12 verse 4 it told us not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is So this is not about your age your experience your temperament your background, your culture, your circumstances. This is about your heart to hear, obey, prioritize, and follow Jesus. It's never too late to reach out and ask the Holy Spirit to activate these gifts in your life. And our church, Jesus' holistic church, and God's kingdom here on earth will sound all the more better. It'll be painted all the more colorfully when each of you ask for, embrace these gifts and then let the Spirit move you as he guides. Let's just end in prayer here. Lord, we just thank you that you had Paul write down these gifts, Lord, that you laid out for us multiple times in your book, Lord, the gifts that you have given us, the things that you pour out into us, Lord. And Lord, we just ask that we would understand your authority, the authority that was in your voice when you spoke the heavens into being, the authority in your voice when you spoke creation into being, Lord, the authority in your voice when, before time, you spoke us into being. And you placed us in your plan. And you placed us in your will. And so, Lord, we just ask that as individuals we would just come to know that authority, Lord. That we would come to hear your voice, Lord. And where we get scared, Lord, that you would give us faith to just step out and trust in you, Lord. That where we have natural manifestations of the gifts you've given us, Lord, that we would still reach to you and see them expanded, Lord, where we feel that we have a complete absence of a gift, Lord, that you would show us how to start walking in those gifts, Lord. Lord, as we spoke about the gift of mercy today, Lord, mercy is so hard. It's not in us, Lord. It was broken in the garden. And Lord, it is only by your mercy that we stand here. It is by the mercy your son showed us that we stand before you and that we can enter into your presence. And so, Lord, let us never take that mercy for granted. And, Lord, let us go into the world and show them mercy the same way you showed us. Lord, we just ask that, Lord, you would just activate each of us into what you have envisioned, Lord, that you would show us how you, and you see us and what you see us doing, Lord. Lord, we see glimpses through your prophetic words, but Lord, I think if we saw the, the true understanding of how much you want us to achieve when we just lean into you, Lord, it would blow our minds. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would give that to us, Lord, that you would just continue to encourage us, that you would speak words into our lives that would just daily move us on that path towards trusting you more and more, Lord, to walking in you more and more, to activating these gifts more and more, Lord, that you would, by daily practice in our prayers, make it permanent, Lord, that, that we would just have these hearts of prayer, Lord, that everything that comes our way, Lord, it would just be this instantaneous memory to turn to you in prayer, Lord, that we would Thank you when we don't spill our coffee, when we juggle it, Lord. That we would thank you and just the little things in life go quickly and easily for us, Lord. When we are in a rush and we find that little parking spot, Lord, just that you would be the first thing that comes to our mind, Lord, because we set our hearts on you in the morning. We set our prayers upon you throughout our day, Lord. And that we just constantly look to your spirit to walk as we go through your communities lord to walk in your spirit lord just lead us and show us the people that we are supposed to reach into and to touch lord by little actions or the big scary ones lord just give us that faith and give us that boldness we pray this in your name
1: amen what a great message that alex brought to just wrap up this series I love how Alex brings in the idea of grace and mercy because mercy is a gift from a gracious God that mercy is an expression of grace and that when we are able to live in this place we're not only that we understand God's grace it's easy sometimes to understand God's grace because we receive it on a daily basis. But that the mercy that comes with it is something that we need to extend. That as a church, that when we start extending this mercy, that the world will see. That the world will notice so that we can give God glory. That's what this, this is all about. Why did we go through the seven gifts? Because it sets us up for our next sermon series where we walk out, how do we live as Christians? How do we we make the word of God pliable and express it out of our, 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 our lives? But it's not just an expression. We actually need to understand that these gifts flow out of our lives, that everything that James talks about requires these gifts. This lays the foundation of everything else that we're going to be talking about. But if we don't have that understanding, we're going to start living out James through our, our own works and not through the gifts of God and not through the grace of God and not through the mercy of God. And so I'm excited to start James next week. Bonus points do go to Alex. <laughs> not that points count. But church, this is what we're called to do. This is what we're called to live out. This is, call, this is who we're supposed to be. And I want you to be ex- an extension of who God is. So that's what everything that we're teaching here from the pulpit is about. As we pray today, and during the red carpet prayer, Roswyn came up with her mom, y- Eunice, and she said, I want to pray for Ukraine. And then Ethel came up and asked for the same prayer. And so today, if you will do this with me, church, I want to pray for Ukraine. Father God, we just know that you are God, and we know that there are people that are being just slaughtered and murdered and put into a place where they're in war. We see families being separated. We see people being arrested. And Lord, you know the situation, and you know how broken it is. So Father God, we just pray for your peace to come onto the people in Ukraine. That amidst all the panic, amidst all the all the bombings, amidst all the, the, the fear that's that's there, Lord, that you use your church at this exact moment to extend your gifts. So we pray for the church in Ukraine that they stay strong in who you are, that they know that they have an assignment and that we as brothers and sisters on this side are able to lift their hands up in prayer right now because we can. So Father God, we just pray. We pray for all of those that are affected by this war. We pray for wisdom in how we are to approach these things. And Lord, we lift this entire situation into your hands because, Lord, we know that you are the only one that can do anything about this. So, God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.